0: With macro uncertainty buffeting many geographies and many subsectors, we've talked about margin erosion before on dry powder and how it can impact private equity investors and their portfolio companies. But we haven't yet fully addressed what you can do about it.
1: A Client typically comes to us when they don't have a granular understanding or any understanding for that matter of profitability.
0: That's Emily Casavana, one of Bain's leading experts on profit transparency. She's also the global product lead for ProfitCube a tool that enables business leaders to visualize profits at a startling level of detail.
1: You want to empower that frontline person to make the right decision in the room. This actually allows you to say, we're all looking at the same data, and we're going to distill this down into a tangible action that you can go take tomorrow.
0: Today on Dry Powder, I'll ask Emily what happens when an organization gets its first glimpse of a true picture of economic profitability. We'll see how they start pinpointing where value is created and where it has eroded.
1: Analytics are great insights are better, action is best.
0: I'm Hugh McArthur, Chairman of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice, and this is Drive Power. You know, one of the things that's been on a lot of our clients' minds, particularly since inflation started rearing its head, is profitability. What are some of the telltale signs that a business leader doesn't actually understand where value is created or where it's actually eroding?
1: It may seem simple, Hugh, but the number one signpost is a new leader into an organization and they say, I just don't understand. You would be shocked actually how often that is the statement. Once we get one-on-one in a room with a leader and they say, I just can't get a straight answer from my team, right? I remember the reaction it was a CFO... We were talking through why we believed that they had missed their quarterly target for this business unit. He was new to the business, didn't really understand it, couldn't get clean answers. It was the first time that he had seen the eight plants, which are the P&L centers for this company, all pulled into one place, and he had no idea that two of the plants were underperforming versus the other six. And the thing that usually happens is people get really excited very action-oriented, and I have to go fix this tomorrow. And what we always say is, let's talk through how you can go do that.
0: Well, what you're really talking about, Emily, is the difference between explaining things with platitudes, which a lot of people can do, and explaining things with data. What exactly is Profit Cube and how can it actually help in a situation like this? What types of problems can it solve?
1: So Profit Cube is Bain's proprietary tool that gives us visibility into the granular level of true economic margin. And by getting to true economic margin at a granular level, say the transaction level, what that allows us to do is then slice and dice the data to look at it from every which angle. So the cube itself, we typically think of from three angles, customers, products, and geos. The value of that is not only do you now know where your value is created or eroded, but now you're talking about an informed way of both setting strategies, as well as taking tactical steps to change margin. So we're very, very focused on how can we take disparate data sources, because this data sits in the crevices of organizations oftentimes. How do we pull that together into one common definition of profitability? And by the way, we're also really paying attention to the people side, bringing the organization along with us because analytics are good, insights are better, action is best, right? The most critical piece of this is that when we build the profit queue, we're building it alongside the leadership team, the folks that are sitting, let's say in the GM seat or the chief revenue officer seat or chief product officer who are trying to make decisions.
0: So there's a consistency of data integrity. There's a consistency in communication and vocabulary that allows people to believe and actually be empowered to take the right actions that runs up and down, what we might call a sponsorship spine of an organization. Exactly.
1: You had asked earlier, Hugh, what is a telltale sign that an organization needs this? And it reminded me of a client where the leadership had said, we need profit cube. <laughs> and the working team was kind of like, here comes another massive analytical exercise. This is gonna be hard work. What we found in the first week or two is that they actually had a common definition of profitability that no one believed in. Assertions would be made based upon data and everyone in the room would agree and then they'd leave the room and everyone would kind of talk behind each other's back of like, yeah, but here's why I don't agree with it, right? Right. That client, we spent a lot of time focused on bringing folks along on what is a true measure of profitability? What's a true measure of activity for allocating these costs? And by the end of it, our goal was to have no one discussing ever the validity of the data, but having them instead focused on what's our goal for the next quarter.
0: So Emily, if I can really kind of draw a high level picture of what you said, you're talking about customer level data, you're talking about product and service level data, you're talking about geographic data, and being able to allocate and really kind of create a PL for each one of those vectors and then integrate it to get a picture of what the economic profit that a business is generating. Is that right?
1: That is absolutely right. And it's all built upon transaction level data. For example, we could pull a two by two of every customer in your company, and we could sort them based upon revenue and true economic margin. Not only that, but I can click on one of those customers and it pulls up their margin waterfall from sales all the way down to how we define true economic margins. And not only that, but if we see there's a certain piece of the margin waterfall that looks off. We can actually go through the portfolio of products that they buy and look at the customer times SKU intersection and pinpoint exactly what the margin waterfall is for that customer, for that SKU in a specific region, right? Because it is built at this granular level. And that's the sort of thing that I often find is the huge unlock here, where you're no longer talking about platitudes, you're talking about specific use cases, specific actions that we can take tomorrow on a given customer. Maybe to bring this to life with an example, you we're currently working with a client that is in B2B building products. They've got over 20 ERP systems they're dealing with. And what they found is that one of their largest customers is actually unprofitable. We double clicked into that customer and what we found was that for one of the SKUs, they are 30% underpriced versus any other customer in the portfolio. Now, of course we wanna reward volume with price, but that was just an absurd amount of reward for volume. So the next week they sat down in a conversation with that customer and laid out, hey, listen, we are true partners here, but we need to raise the price on this SKU and they put it into action. And that's typically the first use case that we see for clients on this is, hey, let's actually take ahead of a region, ahead of a BU, and let's go talk about the outliers because we're pretty sure we can go work on those outliers regardless of any strategic decision we're going to make. And You can start to generate insights within the first few weeks. You can get to action.
0: One of the companies that I worked with before we had such a thing as Cuba was in templated steel manufacturing. And one of the surprising things we learned about this firm was that 17 different people at the firm in many, many different locations could actually impact the realized price and therefore the profit of any given product. And I'm talking about people on the plant floor who could give discounts for expedited runs of certain volumes, people at corporate who could make deals at the corporate level, salespeople who had their own set of incentives, and none of these people were talking together. And so the management of price especially in B2B organizations, can be a lot more complex than people think. And so therefore, there really is a lot of opacity about what are we earning for profit on this product, in this plant, for this customer, in this geography. Would you say that's true more broadly in your experience?
1: Absolutely true more broadly. I mean, so far, we've talked a lot about what I would consider more transaction-based companies, but we also do a lot of work with project-based companies. So it'd be like we're pulling together a lot of different products and we're selling in a project form. And in that sort of setting, pricing is a massive opportunity, right? Because you're relying essentially on an engineer or someone on the front line to price that product. And very rarely do you have a rate card (laughs) that makes sense and is up to date enough. And so we had one project with a large advanced manufacturing company where we actually found through the profit cube that they were pricing their margin before negotiation or anything like that below their threshold target. A Big piece of that was inflation. They were not able to actually keep up with their rate cards with inflation, but actually a larger part of it was the fact that you just had people making decisions off of incomplete data.
0: Well, it's just complex data, right? 100%. You're talking about inputs, products, services, all mixed together that all cost a different amount, take a different amount of time to actually deliver. And so how I price that is not simple at all.
1: You know, for a while, that was okay because the complexity was a value add. But what started happening, especially in 2022, is as you started to see constraints on supply, both labor supply as well as material supply, all of a sudden it became, we just have to get any project we can done. And the complexity started instead of being a value add, started becoming kind of a deteriorating their margin. So we completely agree with you.
0: How do you get a client from an archipelago of data sets to this remarkably coherent visualization?
1: That's a wonderful question. We typically think of the process for profit cube in three steps, right? One is data collection, the second is cost allocation, and the third is truly insights to action. Right? So for example, the data compilation, typically what that looks like is we're pulling from an ERP or multiple ERP systems, but we're also to the point that you made compiling the archipelago. So there are Excel files that sit with the plant controller. In many cases, there's a random fp person that has a random database that they update once a month. We do with the initial is say, where are all of those pieces of data? We stitch them together using our proprietary data flows. Because we've done this time and time again, and because we've put behind it the data and analytics and software pieces, it allows us to move faster. It is a labor-intensive process that we have automated as much as possible so that the time with the client is actually spent more focused on thinking piece, which is how are we going to allocate costs?
0: So are we talking about getting things diagnosed and done in weeks instead of months?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it depends on your your data systems, but it is cutting time in half and thirds and quarters from how you might do this otherwise.
0: So as we think about this tool, and as we think about different use cases, how does a client's use of something like ProfitCube evolve over time?
1: At the outset, it's all about the build. And the build of the ProfitCube is typically created because of some need within the business we need to turn around profitability we need to make different decisions and so we're going to build this analysis so that we can make the decision so that's the initial step interestingly i've found that there are some softer pieces of profit cube that have even longer lasting impacts on an organization simply changing the vernacular of how people within the organization make decisions So it's not about prior experience or platitudes or whatnot. It's based upon a common definition of profitability that has a massive impact on the effectiveness of an organization that goes well beyond, you know, a list of initiatives that come out of our project. We always talk about as we build the profit cube capability building, right? But actually, when I think about capability building, it is changing the way that an organization thinks about decision making to say data is going to lead the way. I think that's usually surprising as clients see their organization change alongside something that they expected to be more of a tool, if you
0: will. Right. I mean, this whole notion of capability building is really giving me the impression that this is much more than a one and done, spit out the answer kind of analytical exercise, but it's kind of a living organic thing inside of a company that evolves over time. And it kind of becomes the language, if you will, with which management talks to each other about how to improve profitability, how to make tactical decisions, how to make strategic decisions, but kind of where are we going as a business? It's kind of the, the terra firma of the data integrity of how to make those decisions and do them with confidence. Would you agree with that?
1: I agree with that. And that underlines, Hugh, what we were talking about earlier of the importance of ensuring that the leadership team, right? The senior leadership team is bought in and aligned with this process. If it is finance led, you know, you will get to good data, but if it is leadership-led, you're going to get to action. You're going to get people to come along for the ride.
0: Absolutely. So now, Emily, it's time for the acid test question. How much of a lift to EBITDA should the typical client expect in a B2B or B2C situation from deploying profit cube in your experience?
1: In our experience in deploying profit cube, we typically see a 15 to 20% lift in EBITDA dollars.
0: Well, I'd certainly say that in these macroeconomic times of uncertainty, almost any leader would say, I need a 15 to 20% uplift in EBITDA. Emily, this has been a fascinating, eye-opening, and very educational experience. I really want to, again, thank you for stopping by today and demystifying what profits are all about and how ProfitQ can help. Thanks again.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Hugh.
0: I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.